Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. Tremendous Spirit of God here in this room tonight. And we welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. This uh, evening is dedicated to anyone who is had something happen in your past and you would like to receive some peace and closure on, maybe something you're going through right now or something perhaps in the future. But uh, we believe that everybody can be blessed and gleaned from uh, what we are going to talk about here tonight. We're focusing on having a sound mind, a sound mind. And a sound mind comes from God, amen? And we have heard so many preachers and teachers talk about this subject And tonight, we feel to bring some professionals and some who minister in this area, in the area of counseling and coaching. Joining me all the way over to my left is Brother Terry Bennett, a chaplain and certified coach and practitioner. Sister Wendy Bennett, a licensed clinical professional counselor. And Natalie Berry, a pre-licensed marriage and family therapist who is going to graduate this month. How about that? And uh, just to make sure our, our mics are working well, uh, all of you, what's the best thing to do if it's a rainy day and you have the day off? For me, uh, apple pie and coffee. Take a nap. Oh. <laughs> Read a book in front of the fireplace. Oh, yes. Read a book and text somebody. Yes. How about that? Good. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining me tonight, and uh, we want to say that all of these individuals are available to anybody who would like to talk to them uh, to maybe receive uh, some direction, some resources, and uh, things like that. Let's, uh, Mental Health Awareness Month is, is this month in the month of May. What and why are some common mental and emotional barriers that people typically struggle with during this month or during this time in the mid-spring? Brother Terry? Um, emotional issues that people deal with in the spring um, often are depression and anxiety. And one of the things that comes to my mind is that's the heightened time of suicides is in the spring time of the year. A lot of people think that it might be winter time. Some people think it's Christmas time. But between April and July is the highest rate of suicide. In the United States, there's uh, 48,000 suicides per year. And a lot of those suicides happen during April, May, June, July. And so I think that's something that we have to be aware of every year. And people say, well, that's crazy. It's springtime. Why would people be more depressed during springtime, or why would people be more um, susceptible to suicide? One of the things is, in in the wintertime, we hibernate. We all, in a sense, hibernate. It's colder weather, shorter days. We stay in the house more. Um, We don't like to get out often. And some people, with their lifestyle, that's their comfort zone, staying inside and not being around people. And yet, in springtime, the days are longer. The sun's shining more. People are interacting with more people. For a sanguine like me, more sunshine, more people, more color. Yay. Yay. 
Okay, that's the sanguine personality, but that's not everyone's personality. So a lot of times people feel more depressed during that time, during that season. And so then when they have other things that are adding to that, um, sometimes they consider things like suicide. And so I think that's something that we have to be aware of this time of the year in the springtime. I can definitely say that there's a trend of increased anxiety and depression in the spring. I've seen it for several years. Um, spring comes, the anxiety is increased, depression is increased. I think one of the reasons is because it's the after-holiday stressors. Um, Christmas and then January comes, people are out of money. There are lingering emotions due to family conflicts during the holiday. There's loneliness because they weren't able to get together. So just a lot of things that are happening that finally at the springtime, um, people have been dealing with it, and so it kind of comes to a head. We also see that, as Terry said, that there's a lot of depression due to the winter. Um, something about not having the sun. There's a lack of vitamin D, a lack of vitamin B in our system and so that causes depression. I can say something a little different this spring that I've noticed that I've seen a lot of social anxiety and a lot of the social anxiety is due to the aftermath of the pandemic and the general stress that comes with it. I've had several clients who have really struggled with social anxiety after being isolated for several months. Most of them have been at home working and now they're getting back into society and and they're saying I'm really nervous just getting in my car and driving somewhere makes me nervous so it's kind of like getting back into the social setting which has increased their anxiety as well I was thinking of all of the um, events that occurred during springtime we have graduations we have weddings we have Mother's Day quickly approaching um, Easter um, and all these things can bring about a great deal of stress and also feelings of loss and grief. Um, for example, graduation. We have parents that may be empty nesters for the first time in their lives. It's really distressing for parents. It's scary for college-age students as well. Being home away for the first time, what is it going to look like? Um, also, um, wedding season. That is stressful for parents who may have kiddos moving away for the first time. For premarital counseling, um, that's on the horizon. Um, and also, as well, um, Mother's Day is a huge one. Um, so many mixed emotions um, for those who have lost their mother, um, for those who have never had a mother figure in their life. Um, and so I think it can bring a lot of feelings around um, for grief and loss and just a lot of stressors. Thank you. Very good. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Fear can be helpful in the event somebody needs to protect themselves, but sometimes fear to the extreme, day in and day out, can really take away somebody's sense of reality. How can we identify fear that does not come from God? And what are some ways that we can overcome it? Sister Wendy? Brother Justin, there's actually um, two types of fear. There's the healthy fear that we all need. That healthy fear is what helps us detect danger. It helps us 
um, protect ourselves in unsafe situations and around other people that may be unsafe. And then there's the unhealthy fear, and this is any fear that does not have any merit to it other than our thoughts or our self-talk that we use. One of the main types of negative self-talk that I see in a lot of clients that I work with is what we call the worrier self-talk. And this sounds a lot like, what if I don't get a job? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I get lost while driving to a new place? What if someone hurts me? These are all thoughts that really don't have a merit to them except for the thoughts that are going through our minds. None of those thoughts are from God, as God tells us to be anxious about nothing but to cast all of our cares on him. And if we're thinking about all these things that have no merit, then we can say these are not from God. The main intervention I teach clients is self-awareness, which is being aware of your thoughts and what you say to yourself. I, I work with clients as far, when, they, when I first start meeting with them, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? What are you saying to yourself? And then we learn to evaluate them and identify the truth versus distorted thoughts. If we find that uh, self-talk is true, something such as, I don't have money to pay my bills because I can't keep a job, then we look at a plan. Well, what kind of plan can we put together so that you can keep a job? We're addressing the issue. If the self-talk has no merits to it, such as I'm not, I don't think I'm doing my job well, and what if I get fired? Well, we look at, is there any evidence that suggests that you're not doing your job well? And so we look at the self-talk, the thoughts, and then we learn to evaluate them. Um, so I would say the main intervention is self-awareness and then the self-talk that we use with ourselves. I was going to say the same thing as Gwendy, um, except for I would describe it, the terminology that I use with my clients is eustress and distress. So the same way Wendy worded it, eustress would be um, any anxiety that serves a function. It's good anxiety. It's anxiety that gets you to work. It's anxiety that helps you complete tasks. Distress is obviously anxiety that um, it's significantly impacting your life um, and uh, obviously taking control of how you're living. And that is not the stress that you are wanting. Um, for example, if you notice a pattern of interpreting everyday life events as highly distressing or even life-threatening, that is a good signal that maybe I should get help sought out because this is not a healthy way that I'm experiencing anxiety. Um, so how do I overcome it? Well, of course, we have great tools. We have prayer. We have Bible reading, which I'm sure each and every one of you know are great tools. Um, but some things that I teach my clients um, are ones that help get our mind back online in times when we feel really dis regulated. And so I have a picture. Um, it has like a brain. It's this one. Um, so if you think of your brain, like in the fall, so everybody put your fist up and hold it like this. Okay. So this is your brain. And, um, in times of high distress, um, this part is your prefrontal cortex. It's a very fancy word. That is where all of your reasoning, rational thought, you're able to think slowly and make really good, effective decisions. But in times of high distress, guess what happens? 
that is going offline and you're literally, we call it flipping your lid. And you're only working from this part of your brain, which is called the limbic system. Flipping your lid. You are flipping your lid. And that is why you are highly emotional um, during times of distress. You're not able to use this part, um, which is reasoning. And so so that's why I, I love tools. Deep breathing is a great fast one. That's a great way to get you back online and to help think, okay, what's going on right now? What's going on in this moment? And so I love this picture because it really um, puts it into perspective. There's a set of stairs there. It's like you've got to crawl up those stairs. Let's get yourself back online. So it's even you can even look around the room. What are like five things you see in that moment? if you're really feeling overwhelmed. Um, I love little tools like that. And if you want more, come and find me after service, and I'll give you some more. That was good. Um, <clears throat> when, when I think about fear, um, the scripture that Brother Justin gave is a great scripture for this. It says that there is a spirit of fear. It says God has not given us the spirit of fear. So is fear a spirit? Is there a spirit with fear? This is what the Bible says. And it says, but he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. That's powerful right there. Say to yourself, I have a sound mind. Just say that to yourself right now. I have a sound mind. Yes. Are the words we choose. Some of us think at times we do. Some of us think at times we don't. Some of us think maybe our spouse doesn't have a sound mind. I don't know. But, um, but love and fear do not mix. Love and fear cannot mix. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. It says perfect love. I, I don't know that I have perfect love, but I know the giver of perfect love. And it says perfect love will cast out, it doesn't say that it'll cast out fear, and it doesn't say it'll cast out some fear. It says perfect love will cast out all fear. That's our resource. God is our resource when we live in fear. And I went through a time, and Brother Justin said, if you can add a short story here or there. So I went through a time where my son, Christopher, and I were playing in the ocean, and we were on boogie boards, and I was showing my stuff to my son, like I'm on the boogie board. and A wave came and it crashed and it took me all the way to the bottom and I smashed my face in the bottom of the ocean and I got what's called a stinger, like you do in sports sometimes, and I came up and I couldn't move my arm and I couldn't swim to the shore and I'm screaming for Christopher, hey, help, I'm dying, I broke my arm, I broke my arm, I'm going to drown. Well, a wave carried me far enough in where I could touch and Christopher come over and they took me to the hospital and blah, blah, blah. I'm in the emergency room and they put me in a CAT scan. Now, some of you that don't like tight spaces, and I know many of you, but I got stuck in this CAT scan and they made me put my hands like this. And as I went into that CAT scan, it was so tight, my knuckles were dragging on the top of the CAT scan. And all of a sudden, fear went whoosh. And I just felt overwhelmed by this fear. And the Bible says that we need to speak the things that are lovely and pure and true. Think on these things, the Bible says. And that's what I had to do during that time. During that time of fear, I had to go back to Scripture and I began to think about, I prayed, 
I quoted some scripture, and then it said, think of things that are lovely. So at that time, why I thought this, I don't know, but I thought about each of my grandkids, and I thought from my youngest to my oldest, and I thought about a short story of each of my grandkids as I was laying in that CAT scan, and I was thinking on things that were lovely. And I had prayed a prayer, and my fear began to subside. So there's many ways that we can make our fear subside. There's many ways, but we have to be conscious of it. We have to be aware of it, and then we have to address it. Amen. Thank you. Second Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we are ourselves receive from God. It also says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Depression and fear, depression, all of these things can uh, happen to uh, anyone, even somebody who is baptized and Holy Ghost filled and all of those things. Just look at the life of people in the Bible who went through difficult seasons of mental grief and anguish and troubles. What are some strategies to prevent depression or to even come out of depression? Sister Natalie? First of all, I love that you quoted from the Psalms because this is also, this is something that I often refer my clients to um, when they're coming in with depression and they feel so much shame tied to being depressed and also being a believer. Um, I think that as Pentecostals, we are so excellent at the rejoicing. We love the highs of the Lord. We love the mountaintop experiences. But when it comes to the valleys and those moments where we really have to trust God and we have those low moments, we are so uneasy in those times. And we really, we don't know what to do. Um, And there can be a lot of shame that accompanies times of depression. Um, And it can be really easier for us to put on a mask and to pretend like everything's good coming into church and we're just going to, we're going to put our shout on today. Um, But inside, I mean, we, our spirit is not reflecting a shout of praise um, because that's what we think is the thing that we need to do. And I think that lamenting is a huge part of the human experience. And we see this in 42 of the Psalms in the Bible. And I think that's pretty significant. Um, It's okay to be sad and also know that God sits on the throne at the end of the day. You're a human and you're an emotional creature. So that's okay to have both of those experiences at the same time. But I will also say at the same time, if you find that depression is significantly impacting your life, for example, you have weeks or months where you're not able to get out of bed. You can't make it to your job or um, you have no motivation that is a time where it is a good flag for you to say, you know what, it's time to go seek out some help um, because there is life beyond depression um, and there are tools for you. So um, just, some quick, um, just some quick things for you, um, maybe if you're currently struggling with this. Um, I think I, with clients that I have had come in, usually they have a lot of big goals that they want in life and whenever they are in these pits of depression, they don't know where to even begin. 
And it kind of begins this deeper spiral into depression because they're like, I'm a failure. I can't even accomplish this that I have going on. One thing I would give you is chunk down goals to something so minute and something so tangible for you to accomplish that day. Like if you, um, if you want to find a new job, that can feel pretty overwhelming if you are in such a low place in life and you don't have the energy to start seeking a job. Maybe something so tangible is like, today, my goal, I'm going to just open up my laptop and I'm going to Google one thing. And that's my goal for today. And there you did it. You, you accomplished something. And maybe that can help you with that upvolt spiral instead of always feeling shamed and um, um, just continuing to feel defeated. That's good. Baby steps. What about Bob? Um, there's our brains. We have 86 billion neurons. You have 86 billion neurons in your brain. Neurons are our thinking cells. Now, science now tells us that it's easier to have a negative thought than a positive thought. I'm reading these pieces of information, and I don't want to believe them because I don't want to have more negative thoughts than I do positive thoughts. But science is telling us that we have negative thoughts more than positive thoughts, or it's easier to have a negative thought than a positive thought. So... If depression is the issue, we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of our thinking. And um, in depression, some people have it for a season. Maybe someone passed away and they're strongly, they're just missing that person. And so they go through a season of depression during that time. Some people live with maybe a level of depression where they just can't get to that place of joy in their life uh, because they they live with depression. And then other people have chronic depression where it can almost seem too overwhelming for them in their life. And so it can be a chemical imbalance that causes depression. It can be too much of a certain chemical in the brain or not enough. And so, but yet, the other side of that is there's chemicals that can help us to overcome depression. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. These are our happy drugs. These are what God put into our system. So you can exercise and release some of these drugs into your system. So I'm not saying that if you have depression, go jog and your depression is going to disappear. I'm saying add these piece by piece, a combination of, do you know that eating certain foods can release these drugs, these chemicals into your system? Do you know that giving can release some of these chemicals in your system? We ought to take an offering right now, Brother Gleason. <laughs> giving. So, so there's many things. Sunlight can release some of these chemicals into your system. So if we put these together piece by piece, like Sister Natalie said, just one little step, one little step. But if we're someone that struggles with depression, but we make sure that we've got dope... Uh, oxytocin and serotonin going into our system, then that's only going to benefit dope. us. Not dope. <laughs> we'll hold off on that. <laughs> yeah. Not too much dope, but uh, we'll address that later. That's all I got. No, that's all right. That's all I got. <laughs> I know I did stop at dope instead of saying dopamine, which that's where I was going. 
Okay, I'll try and add to what Sister Natalie and Brother Terry said. Um, there's two types, or actually there's different types of depression. There is the situational depression, as Terry said, that comes after a loss, after a big change. There's seasonal depression, which a lot of people are feeling. It's spring, they've been in winter all year, or all season. And then there's the clinical or the genetic um, depression. The first thing to know is that some of the depression is normal. When you experience a loss, when you lose a job, if there's been a big life change like moving, if there's been, um, if you're dealing with any kind of medical condition or relational issues, there's going to be depression, and that's normal. Depression affects how you feel, think, and behave, and it can also lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. A lot of times someone will come in and they've been a lot of pain in their bodies, a lot of headaches, a lot of stomach problems. It's the effects of depression. Um, depression hurts, so what most people do is they try to turn away from it. Rather than dealing with the depression, they will turn away with turn away, avoid it, um, using unhealthy coping strategies such as isolation, eating, alcohol, unhealthy relationships, all those things that we're trying to get away from, um, that actually just makes it worse. Some of the strategies that I work with clients is going back to the awareness piece. Once again, being aware of what's going on with yourself is the key. Know your depression. Is it situational? Is it seasonal? Has it been lingering for months or even years? Know your depression so you can learn how to or work with someone to manage it. The second piece is being intentional. Once again, it starts with the awareness of what's going on with us. The second part is being intentional in managing it. Um, engage in healthy coping strategies and good self-care and a good support system. Those are actually the three keys to help managing depression. Uh, this is something a lot of people don't think of. Um, get a physical exam to rule out any physical or medical issues. It's important to know that there's medical conditions that cause depression or mimic the symptoms of depression, such as low levels of vitamin D and B12, iron deficiency, thyroid issues, chronic pain, and even sleep apnea, all of those can mimic depressive symptoms. One of the things I hear a lot is people who go to the doctor because of depression and um, instantly are put on antidepressant, which isn't bad if they haven't spent the time to understand why there's the depression. Um, managing your thoughts goes back to controlling what's going through your mind, controlling the self-talk that you're using. I always tell clients we're not responsible for the first thought that comes to our mind, but we are responsible for what we do with that thought. So if we entertain these negative thoughts, if we entertain these depressive thoughts, of course we're going to feel depressed. So take responsibility for these thoughts and choose, as the Bible says, we got to choose what we're going to think on. Think on those things that are good. Think on those things that are pure. Those are the things that's going to help us change what's going on within ourselves. Uh, so going back to managing thoughts with positive self-talk, scriptures, being able to use scriptures to remind ourselves of the promises that are in the word. The, this is another one that we don't think a lot about, and that's create a healthy environment in your home and in your workplace. 
the environment you're in is going to affect how you feel. If you're in unhealthy relationships, get out of them. That's not healthy. Um, if you're in a workplace that's causing a lot of depression or stress, it may be time to look for another job. And right now, I hear there's lots of jobs out there. Um, and lastly, get active as physical active. Physical activity has proven to be just as effective as an antidepressant. Um, when we're physically active, it naturally releases some of those happy chemicals. And um, there's also research that shows if it's a long-going, intense depression, doing both um, activity as well as an antidepressant is very effective. And um, as far as preventing depression, it goes back to being intentional. Create those healthy habits, create those healthy relationships, put yourself in healthy environments, get enough sleep, eat properly, and get plenty of exercises because that's being proactive and keeping yourself healthy. Amen, very good. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. And that's a verse not to the world or the outsiders, that's a verse to the church. It's a commandment to all of us to be anxious for nothing, meaning anxiety can be a struggle for somebody in church. Further says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Just like depression, a spirit-filled believer can go through seasons of feeling extreme dread, unease, anxiety. What would you say to someone who right now just their heart is overwhelmed and they're having constant physical panic? Uh, Brother Terry? Panic attacks are real. I didn't know this for many years of my life until I had a panic attack. And it's overwhelming. Um, there's a lot of things that take place in your mind and your body when you're having a panic attack. And it can be triggered by a thought. It can be triggered by a memory. It can be triggered by a smell. It can be triggered by reoccurring thoughts. Um, like Natalie was showing the picture of the brain up there, we have on the side of our brain is our amygdala. The word amygdala means almond. It's a little part of our brain that's about the size of an almond, and it's shaped like an almond. And it says that the amygdala hijacks the brain. So in other words, when the, the amygdala, during like a panic attack or some stressor, the amygdala, it, it releases norepinephrine, it releases cortisol, and so it overtakes the rest of your brain. Your prefrontal cortex is now not in control. You don't have rational thinking. You can't have rational thoughts. And so I was, I had four tickets to a Chiefs game and four, and, and a pass for parking. And it was at the 50 yard line and it was behind the glass piece and it was the perfect seat. And someone gave me these tickets and it was that night, and, I, and so I called three of my buddies, and I said, look, man, we're going to a Chiefs game. We got this. This is going to be awesome. We got everything. And so here we were getting ready to go to this Chiefs game, and the, that night I began to have this panic attack, which I had never had before, and 
it was so overwhelming and my amygdala took over and I had no more rational thinking taking place in my brain. And I thought for some reason that they were going to bomb Chief Stadium. I just knew they were. They were going to bomb Chief Stadium when I was there. So the next morning, I got up first thing in the morning, and I called my three buddies, and I said, look, guys, uh, uh, it just doesn't look like we're going to be able to go to the game anymore. <laughs> and so they were all of some understanding, uh, thankfully. Okay, okay, we can't go to the game. But that was a panic attack that took place, and it took away, if you will, my rational thinking. And this happens a lot with people, and and some of you know exactly what I'm saying, that how, how real it is. What happens is when your amygdala takes over, it puts you in fight or flight, okay? But during a panic attack, there's no one to fight. Everybody says in case you have to fight a bear. Why? Why a bear? But anyway, okay, so there wasn't a bear for me to fight, and I wasn't running anywhere. I didn't have to flight, fly away. So... But yet all these things were taking place. My heart began to beat more rapidly. This is what happens when the amygdala hijacks the brain. Uh, my blood's flowing more. My lungs are expanding and contracting more. The pupils of my eyes are open more. And, and I begin to sweat. So all these things are there for a purpose, but they also happen during something like anxiety issue or a panic attack. And so... What we have to do is become aware of that. We have to address that issue. They didn't blow up Chief Stadium, okay? I had to become aware of that. Okay, Terry, this is just a thought you're having. Let's get control of this thought. It's hard to get control of those thoughts when you're thinking that deeply. But we can control those thoughts. We can replace those thoughts. The Bible says bring every thought into captivity. Capture every thought. That's what the Bible tells us to do. When someone comes to me and their heart is overwhelmed and there's a lot of physical panic attacks, um, I go back to the awareness and intentionality. And that's one thing that I think I use probably most often is let's talk about what's going on, let's understand what's going on, and then let's become intentional in managing it. When I work with clients, it's let's, let's pay attention to those early cues that you're feeling off. Notice it when it first happens. That's when you get your, that's when you do something about it. Don't let it go. Actually, I read a research that said that the average person will wait seven to eight years before they finally go to get therapy to deal with something that's going on. That's a long time to deal with anxiety and depression. And by then, it's pretty intense. Um, so don't let it go. Seek out somebody to talk to. There's something about talking about what's going on that it gets it out of your head. You hear yourself talk about it, and you can begin to resolve things as you're hearing yourself talk about it. Engage. As you, catch, as you notice these early warning signs, that's the time to engage in self-care. That's the time to really reach out. This is where the intentionality is. I recently worked with a young man who was having high anxiety and a lot of panic attacks. And the first question I asked him, what's going on? What are you thinking about? And he said, and, and this is very common. Most people say, well, nothing, nothing's going on. I just wake up and I'm really anxious. 
or I walk into a room and I'm really anxious. But when we stop and think about what are you thinking about, what are, what's going on, then they can begin to identify these thoughts and these triggers that increase the anxiety. After several weeks of working with him, helping him identify these negative thoughts, helping him identify the triggers, he was able to use self-talk, deep breathing to manage the panic attacks. And by doing that, he was able to catch his anxiety before it turned into a panic attack. And I think that's the importance of being intentional in what we do with what we're feeling. Don't dismiss it. That's what most people do. We try to avoid it. And when we avoid it, it actually just makes it worse. Ditto, Wendy, everything you just said. Um, yes, if you suffer from chronic panic attacks, my heart goes out to you because I have seen the effects of the wear and tear of um, chronic panic attacks on those who have sat across from me in my counseling office, and um, it causes so much confusion, self-hate, self-blame, um, and so much hopelessness, and um, it is... It, they are real, I will just say. I, I was, too, Brother Terry, I was um, a little, before getting into this field, I was apprehensive and very uneducated about um, how real panic attacks were until I, I began to witness them. And they um, are very real, and um, people suffer. Um, and yes, I will say a common theme amongst people who do suffer from a lot of panic attacks is they are really good at stuffing down emotions. Um, another word for this is they're great at compartmentalizing. Um, if you picture like a faucet, we want to try to turn on that faucet and try to get that emotional constant flowing in session. And they're the ones that they are holding it in for dear life. They are not going to let you try to get any of that content flowing because that's what feels safe to them. That's what they learned usually in their family unit growing up. And that's what um, feels safe to usually protect them, usually as a defense mechanism. Um, so what I do as a marriage and family therapist is usually I go back to the beginning to their family of origin and I'm like, where have these beliefs come from? Why is this why is this something that you go to to protect yourself that you feel like you can't explore these emotions and you've got to stuff everything down so deep? And that's usually where we have gone to explore um, and to try to bring some healing. And there's been really some great success with people that I've worked with that way. And also, I'm going to go back to that picture as well, um, those techniques as well, just trying to get yourself back online. Um, is a fantastic resource um, for helping you in the midst of a panic attack um, because emotion has to come out one way or another. That pipe is going to burst eventually. So you're going to have to talk to somebody about it, talk to God, talk to a person, but your pipe is going to burst if you don't learn effective ways to um, get your emotions out. Um, another thing I will put on your radar, um, also go to your medical doctor if you do suffer from panic attack um, if you suffer from panic attacks frequently because there's something called adrenal fatigue that is a medical condition that may also be a reason for them as well. Second Corinthians chapter 10, it says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And sometimes we can go through seasons where the only things in our thoughts are negativity 
stress and painful memories, and, and nothing's even going wrong. Everything may be going right, but still these things are constantly in our thoughts. And I've heard people say, I can't get the depression out of my head. I can't get the uh, fear out of my soul. I can't get the anxiety out of my heart. What are some ways that you feel that people can bring their thoughts into captivity? What are some uh, strategies for just controlling the mind? Uh, Sister Wendy? Taking our thoughts into captivity means every time the negative thought or the memory enters our mind, we have to choose to address it using the interventions I've previously discussed. It's a choice that once the thought crosses our mind, once again going back to we get to choose what we do with it, we can entertain it or we can replace it and address it. The key word here, of course, is to choose. Is to choose. If we entertain the thought, it's going to increase the anxiety. It's going to increase the depressive, the memories, whatever it is that you're dealing with. So, being aware of when that thought comes, you've, that's when we choose to be able to respond in a way that we're going to manage it, rather than it playing havoc in our minds. Um, when there's, a, when there's a history of early childhood trauma or exposure to domestic abuse or even adult trauma, once again, that needs to be addressed. We address it by resolving it, um, being able to talk to somebody about it. Part of the healing process is getting it out there. It's, I liken it to healing a physical wound. When there's been trauma, it's an emotional wound, and we have to clean it out just like we do a physical wound. And we clean it out by talking about it. And then it becomes a scar. It will be a memory, but it will not have those big emotions tied to it. We need to reconcile the past with the present. And a lot of times people will say, well, what does that mean? The things that we're currently doing today a lot of times are because of things that we have experienced in the past. So it's being able to reconcile that past. Why am I so fearful today? Probably because of the things I've experienced in the past, the fears that I've had, the, the dangers that I've lived through. So it's being able to reconcile that past with today so that we can be intentional to have a healthy future. I would say, first of all, name the thoughts or the thoughts or belief about yourself that you want to surrender to God. So we can't deal with an issue unless we first externalize that issue. We have to name it um, to, first, um, to first deal with it. So once we have named it, um, first of all, I will say it may sound really bad. It may sound... Um, I am unworthy. It may sound I am unlovable. Um, be as precise as you can be. And whenever you name that belief or thought, um, it should hit you in the gut whenever you name it. Um, then what you're going to do is identify um, times in your life when this wasn't the case. This is time, these are times when I didn't feel unworthy. And write those things out. These are exceptions to that rule. Um, and lastly, find Bible verses that are exceptions to that negative belief to combat that negative belief. And I would say write those out, memorize it, um, like keep it in a little sheet inside a journal or wherever you feel like is a safe place for you and go back to that daily and reread it um, 
keep that at the forefront of your mind. And I think that is a really good tool to combat those negative thoughts. Do you know that you have 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day? Some of you are thinking right now that your spouse doesn't have 50 to 70,000 thoughts today. But they did. We do. So if we have that many thoughts each day, what are we thinking? What are our thoughts about? And um, so here's a question. Do you control your thoughts or do your thoughts control you? Because that's kind of a big deal. So we know, we've heard the scripture, that we need to capture our thoughts. We need to bring our thoughts in captivity. That means capture those thoughts. But you can't just stop your thoughts or stop your thinking. What you have to do is replace those thoughts. If you have negative thoughts coming in continually, you have to stop, you have to capture, and then you have to replace those thoughts That's why the scripture does say, whatsoever things are true and lovely and of a good report, think on these things. The Bible was way before the psychologists and the psychiatrists. The word of God was already there. And the Bible laid it out. Capture the thought. You've got a whole bunch of them every day. Capture them. And now let's replace them with the things that are true and lovely and of a good report. So, One of the things we always have to do is be aware of that, capture it, replace it. It starts out and seems hard, but over time it becomes easy. Yes. Jesus said, they that are whole do not need a physician, meaning if you're not whole, you need a physician. So Jesus endorsed going and seeing a doctor. You need to see a doctor. In the Bible, in many places, in the Psalms and Proverbs, talks about there's so much wisdom in the multitude of godly counsel or counselors. If uh, you all could briefly just explain that um, a lot of people are unaware of what a counselor does. It's kind of a new thing that people in the church are being a part of and taking advantage of. What do counselors and coaches actually do, and how can counseling uh, be a great tool for the Christian life? Um, I would say people seek out counseling for a number of reasons. Um, Everything that we have listed, anxiety, depression, we have stage of life life issues, grief, self-esteem, family patterns you want to work through, self-discovery, growth. I think ultimately the main commonality between all those things is people want an objective voice um, that they can share things that they are going through um, to to share these things to. They want somebody who is unbiased, not in the situation, that they know it's going to be safe, that's not going to go anywhere. Um, and that is what's so appealing to counseling. And it's, it's a professional. Like, they have studied and they are aware of what they're talking about. Um, a, a list of what counseling is, quickly. Counseling, it's a place where you can gain tools and insight into yourself. So there's a, um, it's like a, four quadrant, um, kind of like a window pane. I have an image. So this is one way that I like to show um, clients when they're first coming in. Um, Usually people are really big in the blind spot. Um, We all know those people that um, are just really self-unaware, and they think that their personality is one way, but we're all like, no, like, you're really not that way. Or we notice, like, they do things, and they are just, they just don't know. 
Um, and so, and they have, maybe they're, they're coming in with a lot of unknowns about themselves and other people don't know because they hide a lot of stuff to themselves and others. And, and so what we want to do is we want to um, get, make themselves known to themselves as well as known to others and um, maybe help them be better at hiding areas in their life as well to others um, and know more about themselves. So that's one way we're doing that. Um, another thing that counseling is, it's a great space to process and desensitize yourself from traumas that you've experienced um, and the distressing feelings associated with them. Um, it, it is not um, a place where somebody's going to tell you what to do with your life. It's not advice giving, um, and it's not a replacement for your pastor or for pastoral counseling. Um, and it's not salvation, right? However, it is a great tool for the Christian life. It's a great tool for emotional growth and maturity. Um, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he expressed his emotions. He wanted his disciples around him in those times when he was so distressed and he was calling out to God. And Jesus was fully God and fully man. And if he had emotions in those times, why can't we? Why can't we need emotions and um, need others in times of distress? So Jesus always wants to bring, bring complete healing. If you feel that he wants to bring restoration to a part of your life, um, there is work to be done. Jesus never does partial healing in the Bible. He didn't just heal one leg. He healed a whole part of that person. If you feel like God is calling you to heal part of your life, he is going to fulfill that healing. Um, God wants us, he wants us to be honest with him about how we feel. He does not want a superficial relationship with him, with others, or with ourselves. And lastly, Psalm 51.6 says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Healing may be scary, but you are not alone because you have God that walks before you and you have a great group of people who are beside you to help go with you on this journey. These two are the experts on counseling, so I'll just pass it on. Wendy? I'd like to start out with saying what we don't do. What we don't do, as Natalie said, we don't tell people what to do, nor do we fix them or their problems. What we really do is we listen. We listen to their fears. We listen to their anxieties. We listen to their sadness. We listen to what's going on in their life. We help them resolve things from their past. We help them become more aware of unhealthy patterns that are contributing to their depression and their anxiety or unhealthy relationships. And we help them learn skills and strategies that help them create these new patterns that's going to give them a life where they can actually feel the peace and the joy that the Lord wants all of us to feel. Proverbs 11:14 and 24, 6 say, um, victory comes through the counsel of many. And Proverbs 11:14 says, without guidance, people fall, but with many counselors, there is deliverance. Amen. Lastly, people often claim to have generational curses and some may be actually facing real forces of spiritual darkness and spiritual warfare can deliver and set free, amen? And not every generational curse comes from demons. 
How can somebody who has identified maybe a repeated weakness in their ancestral DNA overcome this issue, Brother Terry? Whether we call it generational curses or dysfunctional family of origin, um, we see that it's repeated often. Let's take a small child. What, what do they do? They do what they've seen in that home. They learn what's been put before them, what's been said, what, what they've seen with their eyes, what they've heard with their ears. So as they grow, that's who they become. It's not like they do that when they're three and then they quit doing it by the time they're seven. That's what would be, quote unquote, their normal. So this generational curse or this dysfunctional dysfunction of family, um, it does go for generations often. And so Wendy and I have a friend who grew up in a very poor part of town and grew up in a very rough home environment, but she didn't want to continue to live that way. And she put herself through college and she became a doctor. And today she practices medicine in Overland Park, Kansas. And yet she had a brother that didn't choose that lifestyle and he kept that dysfunction and didn't change from his family of origin. So it's a choice. We have a choice. We all have a choice. And I would end by saying, through God, all things are possible. There's not a lot I can add to that. It really goes down to exactly what Terry said. It's having a choice and it's being intentional. When there's the awareness of family of origin stuff, it's being able, it's having the courage to say, I don't want this for my family. It's having the courage to say, I'm willing to step outside of this comfort box because our family of origin stuff is there's a sense of comfort in it. And it takes courage to step out and do things different. And there's times when someone takes the step to live a different type of lifestyle, to do things different, that sometimes they can be disconnected to the family because the family's saying, that's not what we do. Even though it's dysfunctional and it's unhealthy, this is what we do. So it takes courage to step out and, and intentionally not repeat these patterns in your family of origin that will go generation after generation if it's not intentionally um, stopped by one person. One person can change a whole dynamic of a family. Um, when I hear the term generational curses, I feel that it connotates something that can't be undone. Um, like something that it's happened to your family years and years ago and it's placed on your life and it's, I can't get rid of it. It's this generational curse that's on me. And that's why I highly dislike this phrase because as apostolics, we, we don't believe in the total depravity of sin. In Christ, you are a new creature. Um, so what happens when I'm saved and I'm trying to live a holy lifestyle, but I've picked up a lot of these really unhealthy behaviors and I've got to un unlearn them and I've got to re renew my mind because, and now I'm, I'm trying to be holy. 
let me break it down for you. I'd like you to see this. This is called a genogram. And it's something that I like to do with all my clients, even if they're individuals. I map out their family with them. And we look at all these patterns, dysfunctional. And we look at how things, um, trauma has been trickled down in the family, um, patterns of abuse, um, alcoholism. And we look at them and we... We reflect over, um, and this is not one of my clients, by the way. I'm not violating HIPAA. Um, I found this online. But um, we reflect over how they've been impacted by their family. And the first thing that brings healing to this person is awareness of their situation and the things that they have picked up. Um, and many of us hurt emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. But because we are unaware of the extent of our wounds, we don't take steps towards healing and health. But awareness can bring that healing into your situation. Maybe this is your story. I don't know what your story looks like. And I don't know, maybe you have the best family ever and maybe you don't have that much to work through and that's okay too. But maybe yours is messier than this. And maybe you say, I have a lot of stuff I've got to work through. And that's okay, too, because you can ask God to begin to reveal those patterns of dysfunction to you because awareness is the first step. And guess what? In Christ, we have a new template. We have the church body, and God can give you some new um, relationships to pattern yourself after. Amen. Hasn't this been great? Let's give our speakers a hand. Amen. Let's all stand. Again, if you would like to talk to Brother Terry, Sister Wendy, Sister Natalie, they will be available for you after service here. But I feel like just for a moment, amen, we have heard from, amen, some professionals here. But I think right now we need to just hear from the Holy Ghost right now. Can we raise our hands right now and close our eyes and just talk to the Lord and say, God, Lord, the psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He came. You may be that person right now. You feel like you are just waiting. I'm here to tell you, God comes to those who will wait. And if you will wait on this God, if you will wait on this Jesus, amen, he will come to you. And he will give you wings like an eagle. Amen. And you will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. I pray, Lord, strength to come to the minds and hearts and the souls, Lord, of every person here right now. Amen. I come against, amen, the voices of this world, the voices of darkness. And, Lord, that voice that comes from within ourselves, Lord, and I pray that your voice would come right now. For you came, Lord, to give us thoughts of peace. And I pray, man, for a healthy mind to come upon us right now. I pray for God's love to fall on us right now and God's power to fall on us right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Most importantly, a sound mind to come upon us right now. Oh, Lord, let the angels of strength, amen, that came to you while you were in Gethsemane, to come to your people, Lord, in this time and season, Lord. Help us this Mother's Day, Lord, I pray. Help us this graduation time. I ask you, Father, amen. We need it. We need it. We call upon you, Lord, for it. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord and thank Him? Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.